0: To Learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Spokane, Washington. I am the author of the book School X and a former principal of all levels of K-12 education.
1: Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author and attorney and educational consultant based in the blissfully quieter Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of ten books, including most recently Cybertraps for the uh, excuse me, cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising out of the use and the misuse of digital devices.
0: Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts in the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. But today, we're going to have a little fun. Join us as we take look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit us at centerforcyberethics.org.
1: And we ask you to visit. Center for cyberethics.org because this podcast, the Cybertraps Podcast, is a production of the Center for Cyber Ethics, which is an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Hello there, Jethro. Well, good morning, Fred. Happy Monday. And a happy Monday birthday to you as well. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the dark side of the aging process. <laughs> yes,
0: my daughter did mention to me yesterday that uh, it I'm I'm at the midpoint in my life, and that it's customary to have a crisis at this point. So she said, "Just be prepared." <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you did lose a cable to your equipment this That's morning. That's right. So there That's you right. go. <laughs> May yeah. that may that be the extent of it, Yes, so sure anyway, so. it is it is fun to be back on our Monday podcast. We had a delightful opportunity to actually be in person this past week out at the Professional Practices Institute in Oklahoma City. So let's recap,
0: yeah, it was amazing to be uh, in person again. So you and I met in Alaska several years ago, and the last time we saw each other, I think was two thousand and nineteen um, a year before the pandemic hit, I think was when the last time we saw each other. So we've been talking. I,
1: I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We've been talking every week, uh, since December of this year, which is good. Um, but it was so nice to, to see you in person and to just spend time together with you. I mean, it is, that is such an important part of building relationships and getting to know people. It just, it was awesome.
1: No, it really was. I I felt really grateful to have the opportunity. And related to that, of course, was the opportunity to introduce you to some of my colleagues and friends at the Professional Practices Institute. They are a great group of people, and it was immediately evident that you fit in well with them. So, yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun.
0: Well, here's the amazing thing, Fred. You are so well respected by them that if if you were vouching for me, then it was like, we don't care who you are, Fred likes you, you're in. And so that was that was pretty cool. And I gotta say, like I I've respected you for a long time and I've understood how great you are for a long time. So I'm just gonna puff you up a little bit here for a minute. But be you're like, okay.
1: <laughs> Whatever. Sure.
0: <laughs> we can all take it every once it's in like a
1: while. It's like turning down a lottery ticket. Go for it. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the uh, the The way that you think and the way your mind works is truly amazing. Your awareness and knowledge of everything that you've been doing for so long is really impressive. And that was on show at this conference. And we'd be having these conversations with all these people about all these different subjects. And you'd say, well, what's really interesting about this is that it actually started back in 1927 when so-and-so did this or that. And every story had an aspect of that, which gave such good perspective to why things are the way that they are. And I just thought that was that was awesome to see that in those informal conversations that here you're we're talking about that stuff intentionally and you should know the history and you do, but then to talk about something completely different and you still know the history about that was really amazing. So it was awesome to, to see that on display, which I've seen before, but had a new appreciation for this last week.
1: (laughs) Well, that's really kind of you, Jethro. I, I really do appreciate that. It is, it has, been, I think, the way I would put it, it has been immensely gratifying to find a community of dedicated professionals that value the work that I do and encourage me to do more of it. And I I think we many of us have wandered, you know, in the old Tolkien phrase, hopefully not all who wander are lost. But this and, and again, I, I can't say this without a shout out to Troy Hutchings you know, one of our friends, one of our early podcast guests for bringing me into this community because he saw the potential and it has really reshaped my professional life. And I I couldn't be happier. I'm really blessed to have a chance to work with people. And again, you know, and, and again, returning some of the the puffball here, which I think is absolutely legitimate. Yes, there may be some validation in terms of coming in with someone who's worked for them for a while, mm. But the fact that you are who you are and the work that you've done fits in so nicely just makes it easy.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, is it it felt very comfortable being with these people who, many of whom are dealing with very intense, high-level issues that nobody ever talks about. And I think that that piece of, you know, so the people who are at this conference are investigators of teacher misconduct. They're licensing board chairs and members um, who deal with this stuff on a very deep level and are really like the integrity of these people is really impressive they want more than anything to make sure that kids are safe and are being protected and that bad things aren't happening to them and that they're doing what they can to ensure that those things don't happen and it really is a uh just just a great group of people who really have their hearts in the right place and nobody there was saying we need to get rid of people everybody there was saying we need to make sure that bad things aren't happening to kids and if they are those people shouldn't be allowed to work with kids anymore
1: and it well, was and powerful. as a preview for our audience right they're going to get to hear some of those folks because with your podcasting skills and (laughs) amazing equipment, we actually set up and did some on-scene interviews with people, which we'll feature in the podcast. And the one other thing I'd add before we move on to our Halloween special is that I was really even more impressed this time at the thoughtfulness of people about how to find intermediate levels of discipline to -hmm. be more nuanced about how they respond to some of the trouble that educators can get into. And I think that that shows a really fine balance between protecting kids and not being unnecessarily vindictive towards teachers. Yeah. And I think that's really important.
0: Well, and this is a, a trend that we've seen in the education space as a whole, even down in the K-12 area where dealing with students, we don't we're not really interested in just punitive measures. And what we've hmm. seen is that punitive measures, one, they don't even work. And we've known that for a long time, but we've still done it. But what we're finding out is that there are often reasons why people behave in a certain way. And if you just punish them, then they don't ever learn from it. And as a principle, I want people to learn from their experiences, good or bad. And that's really challenging when it's a bad situation and you need to punish someone or you need to say this wasn't okay and you need to find a way to deal with it because there aren't always a lot of tools and there's usually going to be somebody who's upset about whatever happens. And like you said, the people we talked to really wanted to find a way to help improve the situation and not just punish. So it's not a bunch of people sitting there saying, who can we fire today? It's a bunch of people sitting there saying, (laughs) how can we help people make better choices? And that is... That is compassionate. That's kind. That is the kind of people that I want to associate with. Because even though there are challenges, it's it's good. In fact, one brief conversation I had with one of the prosecuting attorneys uh, that we didn't record or anything was him saying, we really need something for people to, like a way to help remediate people and help them know how to do things better. So is that... Do you have any of that? And I said, Well, not yet, but I'm sure that Fred and I will work on that <laughs> at some point. But like, they they want to know sure. how do we help them. Like, it's not just punish them and they get rid of them, but it's how do we help them. And that uh, that type of approach. The there was a lot of talk of uh, uh, the level of care, or however Troy says it. He said it, and a bunch of other people talked about caring about people uh, first and foremost. And I just was very
1: inspired by that. It, it is really inspirational. I will give a quick shout out, um, first of all, to Mike Carr, uh, who is the, you know, the director of the conference and, and I believe the executive director. I forget between him and Phil Rogers what their respective positions are. But in any case, Mike Carr is responsible for coordinating these conferences and does a really great job. And related to that is the fact that, and this actually is under Phil Rogers' uh, bailiwick Um, The development of a NASDAQ Academy, which I've worked on with Troy and with Glenn Lipson, who is also a guest on the podcast, and the NASDAQ Academy is specifically designed for remediation in non-criminal proceedings. So if you have a situation where a teacher has bumped up against the line but has not actually committed a criminal act... The NASTEC Academy, and you can go to NASTEC, n a s d t e c dot N-E-T to look at it in more detail. The NASTEC Academy provides that kind of remediative training or remedial training for educators.
0: Yeah, definitely something that is very good and very good to look at. Um, so I want to talk briefly about our upcoming episodes about the that, that We did there, you know, there was some background noise. We were in a hallway where they were, you know, serving food. So there, there was some background noise, but I think that it came across um, decently. Um, we also recorded your presentation, which was a really great presentation um, about, uh, do you know what apps your, your students are using, which I thought was really good. Um, so those will be coming out on the podcast here in in a little bit and so we're gonna keep our regular release schedule of mondays and thursdays monday for live show thursday for interview so these will just come out in that queue so just a little programming note to make everybody aware of so let's talk about our topic today uh which is beware what you wear you like that I i just came up with that i think that's pretty good so
1: i i like it so so what we need to do is what we're really talking about is werewolves, right? Yes, werewolves. <laughs> yes. So in any case, yes, we are talking today about educators and Halloween costumes, because for those of you who may not have looked at a calendar in the last six weeks, Halloween is coming up next weekend. Um, or actually when what's on today? Sunday, today's the 25th. So I guess, yeah. The- Sunday. Yeah. You can feel it in your bones. (laughs) I I got you. Uh, Yes. Lots of Halloween puns out there. And I will tell you right off the bat, ironically, I'm not a big Halloween guy. I mean, I hate Halloween. Just uh, (laughs) so this is maybe not the right topic for the two of us, (laughs) to but or maybe um, it is the right topic for the two of us. (laughs) Right. Well, to be absolutely fair, I love handing out candy, although now I'm in a sixth floor apartment. I don't think I'm going to get a lot of kids walking in and out. Uh, but it was a lot of fun when we were living on, in another section of Brooklyn. We would have the most amazing costumes walking past and coming up and ringing the doorbell. And I will say that Brooklyn in general goes a little batty about the whole Halloween thing. I don't know about Spokane, but uh, here it's just a deep dive for people.
0: Yeah, uh, it's not super deep here in Alaska. It's usually the first day that we have snow that sticks. And so my oh, kids wow. for the last <laughs> uh, last three years in Fairbanks, they trick-or-treated in snow and put, you know, coats on over their costumes. So that's uh, that's yeah. what we're used to. And, you know, I'm sure we'll do some of that this year. But I would prefer we just buy the kids each a bag of candy and say, let's watch a movie together or something personally. But yeah. whatever. Kids Well,
1: and kids you know, in it's interesting. I'll I'll toss out a little bit of a historical note because I was in school. You know what? Like seventy four to eighty one was my K twelve experience, or whatever mm-hmm. the dates on. I you know graduated from high school in eighty one, and the late seventies. This is this obviously predates you, even yeah. with your birthday. <laughs> it predates you. Um, that this. Um, This was the real stuff stuck in candy scare of the mid to late 70s. And so my siblings and I laugh about this all the time that we actually didn't have trick-or-treating for about four years. We had this thing called Operation Goblin, and they ran trick-or-treat out of the classrooms in the elementary schools and the junior high. And then they would have an ultra lame Well, of course, it seemed that way to me because I never got invited, but we would have these (laughs) ultra lame dances (laughs) at the end of the day. And, you know, it was just the, the community's way of coping with this absolute paranoia that you were going to get a Snickers bar with a razor blade stuck in it or something like that. So, well, anyway, those,
0: (laughs) those fears still existed even when I was younger and going trick or treating. Although to be honest, we weren't even allowed to go trick or treating until I was like in eighth grade or so. And by that point, it's kind of lame anyway, but I, I snuck out in, (laughs) I snuck out in fifth or sixth grade and then ended up having someone steal our bags of candy when I was trick-or-treating so oh I know isn't that tragic some punk scarring, high school kids I, I know <laughs> <laughs> okay well, well let's get let's that. get into so, the the goodness yeah. of our conversation which is going to be great which is talking about uh, how your costume could actually cost you your career and
1: yes. that and is we're going to start we're going to start with a funny thing though because Honestly, five years ago, it's amazing this stuff still sticks around on the web. Five years ago, I wrote an article, What Do Pokemon Balls, Pumpkins, and Death Stars Have in Common? Just Google baby bump costumes. And this was really the first awareness that I had that people were really going overboard on the Halloween costume thing. And so it's all of these pregnant mothers who have incorporated their soon-to-be baby into their Halloween costume. And, and some people, I will say, are wildly creative. So that's just kind of a fun laugh. Look at the ideas that people have. But then a couple of years later, an incident arose in the state of Idaho. And, and coincidentally, just about the time that I went to um, PPI in Boise, which we're going to mm-hmm. go back to in the fall of next year. So you won't have to travel quite so far. Yeah, I can um, drive there. Well, there you go. That sounds that sounds decent. I could too, but it might take me a while. Yeah. So, in any case, I wrote this long article on cybertraps.com, and we've got the links in the show notes for people of a gr- two groups of educators who held a well, actually it was elementary school, and there was a co- there was a costume contest amongst the different educators, and one set of educators Brought in cardboard costumes and stood together as the Trump Wall, and then another group of educators in the same contest dressed up in Mexican costume—you know, Mexican clothing, uh, serapas and sombreros and big fake mustaches—and it was a—it was a, a private party. But you know, Jethro, yep, what happened? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So somebody yeah, you don't even have to read the article. What happened? <laughs> somebody posted
0: pictures on social media. Somebody saw it. Bingo. And somebody got offended. So does this mean that we've all just yes. lost our sense of humor?
1: Well, I, I'm. I think that is the first and most obvious question, right, that pops up, and it's it's a hard one for me to answer, personally speaking. Um, I can do the legal piece, and we'll talk a Uh little bit about that. But on a personal level, I'm legitimately torn because I have a good sense of humor. I like laughter. I like creativity. I think that lots of good humor is challenging and involves Mm -hmm. risk-taking, and I don't think that it is necessarily useful to try to stamp that out. At the same time, I think it's also important to be a thoughtful person about the people around you. And this particular school was, I think, 40% Latino, um, which actually surprised me a little bit given how far north it was. But a lot of immigrant families who are doing harvesting um, send their kids to schools in the area, which makes sense. So, you know, I think that these are This is a balancing act, right? That, you know, for instance, it ought to be pretty clear, and and we're diving into some specifics that we'll get you into in more detail, but it ought to be relatively clear that whatever humor value someone may think there is in, for instance, dressing up in blackface and pretending to be African-American is wildly outweighed by the hurt that that can cause, you know, the sense of someone being mocked or what have you. So I think that's the challenge. And one of the contexts in which I think about this, putting aside Halloween for a second, is if you go into a comedy club, maybe your expectation should be that things will be a little edgier, right? So we've got responsibility both on the part of the quote unquote speaker and then also on the part of the hearer or the observer. And, and look, we're in a cultural moment where we're trying to get the balance right.
0: Yeah, and especially with the wall, that was something that was incredibly polarizing um, as an event itself. And so you have to recognize that there's a time and a place. And I like that you brought in the analogy of going into a comedy bar. There, You should expect something different by going to that place than by going to a party at school. Now, I personally think, and I don't know these teachers or anything about them, but obviously it was a group thing. And so there were a number of people, and someone we're going to interview coming up this Thursday, actually, is Richard Shell, who's the author of the book, The Conscience Code, and his interview will come out in a couple of weeks. But one of the things that he talks about in the book is that once you have uh, two people who say, yes, let's do it, Then it's really hard for other people to step out of it. And the more people say, yes, let's do it, the easier it is for people to go along with it. I don't think that any of these people were bad people, like in their heart. I think they thought it would be funny. And to them, I'm sure it was, looking at the pictures that you have on the, attached to the article on cybertraps.com they look like they're having a great time and they're happy and having fun and probably thought that it was just funny to do. Um, But the thing is, is that when pictures get taken, when things get posted, nobody knows anything else that's going on besides just what they see and therefore can make a rash decision, uh, a judgment about that. And you have to recognize that times and places are appropriate for different things. And in this situation, they obviously weren't. Now, do you remember off the top of your head where all these teachers fired? Were they disciplined? Do you remember what ended up happening?
1: Yeah, I do remember off the top of my head that they there was a brief suspension for the educators, and then they were reinstated. I think there was more discipline, actually, and this will hit home for the principal involved in kind of supervising the event. And I think that this is such a great place to start our conversation, Jethro, because it touches on so many aspects of technology that we've discussed on this podcast. So first of all, this was a non-public event, right? Wouldn't the dynamic be different if these educators had done it as part of you know, the Middleton, Idaho Halloween Parade? You know, when they're actually out in public and everybody can see what they're doing. But everybody did see what they were doing because of this social media thing. And initially it was posted to the official page of the school, which is why I think the principal got into a little bit more hot water than the teachers. You know, basically the teachers, as far as I can tell, got a talking to by the superintendent and they all apologized and said, no harm was meant. And it was a private event and yada, yada, but it raises this question amongst colleagues, right? Should be, should there be events that educators go to as a group in which they somehow enforce a no social media policy? And (laughs) do you trust your colleagues? (laughs) I mean, that those,
0: those are two great questions. Number one if there's a no social media policy, then the first question is, well, what are you hiding? Which is a ridiculous, but that's where people go. You must think that you're doing something wrong if you want to not publish it. And that's just not, not the case. Uh, but then the second question is, do you trust your colleagues? And <laughs> you know, I, the thing is, is that at, somebody took a picture, they all posed for it and then somebody posted it whether there was permission given or not but like you mentioned once it gets out there then it's out there and you can't you can't go back and take it down and say this never existed it just doesn't work that way people copy it people screenshot it whatever the case is well, and so
1: it's in my article now for perpetuity right yeah I mean. that's right you know
0: <laughs> so so it you you just can't take it back and so that's where you know, those are those are real serious questions. And if, if you can't trust your colleagues to not do social media, then then that's a separate issue uh, of your relationship with them and whether or not, you know, that's, that's a place that you want to be where you don't know what's going to be posted out there.
1: Right. And I, I think that it raises two legitimate responses, which is number one within a school community there should be conversations before a holiday like Halloween about what the appropriate parameters are and why people should think about certain things, right? I mean, Halloween has gotten kind of bonkers in my lifetime, you know, and, and largely based on my observation, kind of the more sexualized approach to Halloween, Mm. like it's become this big kind of, um, expansion of what is socially appropriate so you get you know kind of the sexy gryffindor costumes and things like that i mean just some really inappropriate things and educators do need to remember that they're role models you know and that people look at them to have a certain position within the community so that's number one but number two even if things go sideways as this one clearly did up in idaho there's still awesome potential for it to be a teaching moment, and the thing I love about that case is that one of the uh, Latino astronauts from NASA volunteered to go to the school after this incident arose and talk to all of the students about you know the the opportunities for Latinos in a variety of different fields, his experience of being a Latino astronaut. It it just sounded like a beautiful ending to that story.
0: Yeah, I I think that that's really good. And I want to talk about some of the problems that could arise. You talked about overly sexual um, costumes, and especially in a school environment, there are things that, you know, just from the word go are not going to happen. So, you know, for my students, I would say no weapons or facsimiles of weapons. We're just not going to do that at school. So if you are dressing up as a soldier, then you leave the guns and the grenades at home and they're not part of your costume here at school. And, you know, that's just an easy line in this to day draw. and age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you can't be wearing a sexy whatever costume at school. And we're going to put uh put a stop to that. You can't do anything that's going to mock or potentially hurt someone else's feelings and even if it's funny like we don't we don't even care so you (laughs) we're just not gonna play this game where you get to make fun of someone in by what you're wearing and and mock someone else it's just not gonna not gonna work um nor are we going to be insensitive about other things so you know if you're going to wear a costume making fun of something that happened then it's not going to happen. And, you know, we're going to call your parents and tell you to take it off. And it, having those conversations beforehand so that all the teachers know what the expectations are, so that everybody knows this isn't going to happen, so that somebody doesn't show up that day. Oh, the other thing was no blood. Like, you mm. can't have blood on your body fake or real or whatever. So hopefully it's <laughs> oh
1: real That's real commitment to a costume. Yes. <laughs> <they're> using.
0: <laughs> and unfortunately that kind of stuff does happen. So that is, that is crazy. But you, those are some of the things you've just got to talk about them and have an upfront conversation. And yeah. you know, maybe we're doing this even a little bit too late the week before Halloween, but still it's not too late to have that conversation. The dress up day is going to be Friday, most likely. So so you got time to have that conversation still,
1: and and for individual educators who are listening to this, or if you have a friend you know needs to yes. listen to this podcast, yes. it is never too late to make the right decision. Look, I, I'll I'll tell you that um, you know there are a lot of fun legal issues that arise with respect to this stuff. Um, clearly, at the end of the day, this is really a First Amendment debate. And like social media posts, you know, it is true that educators retain their First Amendment rights. You were able to impose those kinds of restrictions on students because they have a lowered number of rights within the school environment. They're not fully adults yet. But the thing you could say to a 17-year-old changes the next day Mm -hmm. if he or she turns 18. And it's, you know, I'm sure that's frustrating from an administrative point of view. But, you know, I think your point about sensitivity is a really good one because it does give us a chance to circle back to this idea of comedy versus decency. And the, we've got a list of different instances where educators ran into trouble because of their Halloween costume. I think the one that just blew me away in terms of sensitivity was a Canadian. And we think the Canadians is being so nice. Like what was this? about? <laughs> no, right? But some Canadian, <laughs> some Canadian principal actually had disciplined a student for violating their hair policy because the student had dreadlocks. And so at the beginning of the school year, they cut off the student's dreadlocks. Oh my god. And then he saved them and wore them as a Halloween costume 2 months later. And not surprisingly, got fired for doing so. So that violates so many different aspects of decency, consideration, responsibility, role modeling, you know, the list goes on and on. But yeah. just, you know, think through the potential impact of what you're doing and ask whether or not the, the, what ask whether or not the response to your costume is worth it. Well,
0: and that really is where people get in trouble that they're going for some sort of reaction to their costume. And almost always that is what causes them to get in trouble. And I can't ever imagine a situation where I would take scissors to a child's hair um, mm. in in the school. I mean it just doesn't that that would not even cross my mind. Um, I and I can't even imagine that anybody would do that, then save it and then wear it later. That to me is just mind-boggling. It, it blows my mind every time I hear that story. So, thinking about the reaction, is the reaction worth it? I think that's a key question to ask. And one of my superintendents, um, Stuart McDonald up in Alaska, he said, one of the best questions you can ask is, what's the worst that can happen? And then know (laughs) that that could happen. So what's the worst that could happen if I wear this particular costume? And really asking yourself and asking your teachers and your students to, to answer that question And then see what could happen. So if I dress up as a dinosaur in one of those inflatable things, what's the worst that could happen? I could run into somebody or not see someone or possibly injure someone. Is it worth it? Well, I can do things to mediate that risk and make sure that I don't by, you know, looking around carefully before I move, not running, for example. I mean, these are really simple things, but that's a pretty benign example. If you're choosing a different costume, it could be a much worse response. And, you know, costumes have cost educators their careers, and you certainly don't want that to be the reason why you get fired. I mean, I don't. Maybe Well, you certainly
1: don't want to wind up on this podcast. <laughs> no, certainly not,
0: <laughs> as a negative example.
1: That's right. Well, you know... I think what I would suggest to people, um, the categories, I think you touched on some of these earlier, but just to review for people the categories of costumes that require additional thought, because neither you nor I are standing or sitting here telling people what not to wear, right? This is really, you're an adult as an educator. You should be able to think these things through. But clearly, given everything that's going on in the United States right now, cost, Costumes that are a form of political commentary are something to think about. You Mm -hmm. know, do you live in a community where your choice of costume is going to be disruptive within the classroom? Because that's the standard, Mm -hmm. whether it's a social media post or a blog post or a costume you wear, the school can take action if you create a disruption in the classroom or you lose your ability to be an effective educator. That's the legal standard. So political commentary can do that regardless of where on the spectrum you are. Um, Something, as we discussed earlier, that's overtly sexualized, which is just Mm -hmm. a bad decision as a role model. If you're engaging in cultural appropriation, uh, just this past week, Jethro, you probably saw the reports of the teacher who I haven't really delved into it, so I don't know how, but she was trying to teach either calculus or trigonometry using Indian dance moves and wearing a headdress. And her career, I think, is safely to say been derailed, um, which also falls into the category probably of mocking specific groups or an individual. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, making fun of a tragedy. It blows my mind that people would come up with costumes that reference school shootings or plane crashes or whatever, just again, because they think they can get some kind of Halloweenish reaction. Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, again, we're talking a lot about school specifically here. So a, a teacher wearing those to school or dealing with kids who are wearing those to school is is one thing, but then Going to your local Halloween party um, in your own neighborhood, you know this is that's a different situation, and you can have a little bit of slack for being the role model when you're a teacher. Going to a private adults-only event not associated with your school, but the fact remains you're still a teacher and you're still an educator (laughs) and there's still an expectation that you're going to do things appropriately or not. Um, And that's, that's something that you just, you can't forget. Now I do want to talk a little bit about how some of these um, ideas really are funny and some of them are not always appropriately funny, but still funny. And sometimes it's worth it to get a laugh out of people if you can do it in a way that they get the humor and not just the offense. But it's, it's dangerous to attempt that and not pull it off in the day and age in which we live. So you really do need to think about it and, and ask yourself some good, hard questions about it. And, you know, sometimes it's totally worth it. And other times it's, it's definitely not going to be worth it. So you need to,
1: to think about that. And, and I do want to make sure that I or we, depending on how you feel about this, <laughs> but that I acknowledge the fact that it is more difficult to be funny now. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a fair statement. And I think that in part, that is a good thing because all too often people rely on cheap stereotypes to try to get a laugh. Um, as a short Irish person, I've heard every leprechaun joke on the planet. So I get some of this. um, But, you know, as a white male, you know, I'm not really in the category of folks who have had to take this for centuries. And so I'm also cognizant of that. And I think as a social issue, it's going to take us a while, and we, maybe we won't ever get there, but it's going to take us a while to redraw these lines between decency and humor, and really, I think, come to grips with how humor functions in a social media-driven world. And as you know, I'm working on this book, The Rise of the Digital Mob, and what the situation we've, we find ourselves in, and educators absolutely need to be aware of this, is It's not just that somebody in your community may be offended by what you did. It could be someone half a continent away who's offended by what you did. And they generate enough outrage and stir up the digital mob so that now your principal right, or your superintendent has to deal with it because they're being bombarded by phone calls, newspaper reporters, all the rest of it. So that's one of the problems. I think humor is one of those things, unless you're George Carlin or someone like that who operates on a national stage. Humor is an interpersonal or small group thing, or it's easier to gauge what humor is in those situations. But none of us or very few of us are trained to appreciate the nuances of humor when we're dealing with a national audience, which is what social media gives us very yeah. complicated stuff.
0: Yeah, and we're not we're not prepared to deal with that. We don't know how to manage it and, you know, it <laughs> it's it's one thing for Dave Chappelle to get comments and feedback on what he's doing and it's another thing for John Smith who lives down the street from me to get those kinds those same exact (laughs) yeah or us yikes so i mean it's (laughs) we're not we're not prepared to deal with what comes with that that it can really damage your life in a way that you just don't understand um, until you've you've experienced it. And, and a lot of people just don't think that far down the road of what, what it could encompass, which could include death threats on social media. Those things have happened. Mm -hmm. It could include threats of harm or violence against your family. It could make you not feel safe in your own home. And, you know, you don't want that stuff coming back on you because it is not worth the, the pain and anguish of going through it.
1: Yeah, I think that's very well put, Jethro. And and the last point I'd offer on this is that, you know, we can always stick a fork in Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, <laughs> call him out for what he's done to our planet, for lack of a better term. But look, the one of the concepts we're dealing with, right, is the shifting idea of friends. So, you know, think, let's circle back to the folks in Middleton, Idaho they they probably are a group of friends who teach together mm-hmm. and they were having this costume contest. And I'm sure within the context of those friendships, people got the humor, right. That they were mm-hmm. trying to make. And when it got posted to social media, again, that was a general school account. So it's a little bit different, but if you've got a costume that's a little bit edgy and you're trying to be funny and you share it with your quote-unquote friends on social media, you're you're really opening it up to a much larger group than if you go to the kind of Halloween party you were talking about, right? Yeah. In, in your town of Spokane, with your friend set, if you go to a party with, say, 20, 25 people that you know reasonably well, you've got a sense of what they will find funny yeah. and find amusing. If you've got three or 400 Facebook friends, you can't have that same knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then of course, God help you. If it goes national or international, you have no way of gauging what people would find funny. And so this is, this is the problem that social media presents to educators in every aspect of what they do.
0: Absolutely. So my last comment is um, about my wonderful oldest daughter who has down syndrome. She had a video on YouTube go viral, 15 million hits, which is unbelievable. Just unreal. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know how I found out that it went viral? I started getting emails from the comment section that started mocking my daughter for how she looked because you could tell she has Down syndrome. And people were calling her retarded, saying something's wrong with that baby, all this kind of stuff that... I didn't understand how hurtful that could be, not having experienced it before, because people don't usually say that stuff to my face, right? Um, but people obviously think that, people obviously discuss it. And people saying that about her at when that was posted just really shocked me and made me think, man, these people have no idea who this little kid is. And they're saying this about, mm. you know, a baby because it was several years ago. And, yeah you know that you've you've really got to think you've really got to pay attention to what other people who have no idea who you are could be saying and not because we should, you know, cater to them all the time or or do whatever the mob says to do because we certainly don't want that but at the same time you have to be prepared for the backlash that's going to come and and in my situation with her, you know, I just disabled comments and then you know, that was fine. And um, in fact, I still haven't figured out how to turn comments back on on my YouTube channel after all these years. So <laughs> I've tried and it doesn't work for some reason. But anyway, that was OK because I could just turn those comments off and, and not see them anymore. But you can't always be that fortunate. So things could happen and you you just need to be prepared for it. And if you think that it's worth it, then, you know, be prepared for whatever that backlash is going to be.
1: I don't think in all honesty, Jethro, that people really can fully prepare themselves for the backlash sometimes.
0: No, I, I really don't think you can. And that's that's why you've got to ask yourself those questions beforehand.
1: It, well, put. what what, what is the
0: worst that could happen?
1: Interesting stuff. Well, we certainly hope that people will uh, reach out to us with their own stories or questions about any of this. And, of course, if you have any uh, guest suggestions, we always welcome those as well. So that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology.
0: If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening to this, you must have loved this conversation. If that's the case, please do uh, leave us a five-star rating and review on your podcast player of choice. And we'll see you for our regularly scheduled interview on Thursday. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually.